welcome to the Mile 99 interview series with your hosts, Greg Larkin, Mike Turner, and Jessica Harris. Enjoy this episode, and we'll hope to see you on the trails soon. Okay, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mile 99 interview. I'm your host, Mike Turner. So the Mile 99 is a place that we develop to hang out with our like-minded folks in our community, share their stories, their successes, our, our failures, and their deepest trail secrets. It's also a place where we can kind of get the latest race news and race updates from our, all of our local race directors, uh, so which is pretty awesome. We record in front of a live Zoom audience uh, with one take and no breaks. So unlike what is said on the trails, what's said here is on the record. So I'm joined by my co-host, Jessica Harris. How's it going, Jessica? It's good that I'm inside. I, I, I know I'm not the only person who thinks this, but it is hot this weekend. I've lived here my whole life and maybe because I'm getting older, but these heat waves are no joke. I was up in Auburn this morning and I called it. I was like, yeah, this isn't happy for me anymore. I need to go. <laughs> I need to go home. I got a giant tea from Starbucks and am enjoying the air conditioning. How was your run this morning, Mike? Uh, I, I I woke up at 3 a.m. because I... And I don't like that, but I just had to get out. I had to get out and I knew I had to get some miles in. And once it gets past 10 o'clock, it's just unbearable. I agree. And I stopped, I think about 10. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm done here. I need to leave. Um, we do have a Zoom going on everyone, a Zoom session and our Facebook Live. If you guys have any questions for George or, um, any race questions, go ahead and send them over to me on Facebook or on Zoom and we'll get them answered for you. And we also, guys, we have our Patreon. It's only $1. Um, it helps us so, so much. We have some merch that's going to be coming soon too. And if you're a Patreon member, you're going to get first dibs and you're going to see it first. Going to see it first. So yeah, head on over to our Patreon. We'll make sure to link it and sign up for only a dollar a month. Help us out. That'll be awesome. So today we're super excited to talk to talk to the guy behind the Tahoe Rim Trail Endurance Runs. You know, he's not only, you know, a loved and admired happy-go-lucky race director that we all know, he's also a well-accomplished athlete in both road and trail with endless amazing races that he's done from mountains to the streets. It's done a lot of things, a lot of awesome races. He's also a, a trail steward. He gives back to our community in so many ways. So tonight we are honored to welcome George Reese to the show. How's it going, George? It's going great. It's I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on the week before the race. I'm sure things are a little busy for you. But before we get into any race updates, we want to get to know you a little bit more. So we're going to start from the beginning. You grew up in Westminster, California, which is near, near Seal Beach. And you started uh, playing football, right? What age was that? Yeah, um, I come from a football fanatic family, and uh, I started playing Pop Warner football when I was about eight years old and played all the way through high school. Did not play college football. I was not quite big enough for that, but uh, uh, yeah, football was my sport. And no running, only running for like conditioning, right? Um. I did run track a couple of couple of years, but they were all uh, sprints, uh, mainly 
the 200 and 400 meter. Uh, well, back in those days, it wasn't meters, it was yards. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, but I didn't run cross country or anything like that, like so many runners later in life did. Yeah, kind of that old mentality that like running was punishment for other sports. <laughs> like you do it to get in shape for other things, but it wasn't the main thing. At least that's how I grew up, but I was still just a runner. Um, but other people would be like, your sport is our punishment. I'd be like, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, most of my running was measured by seconds. <laughs> totally. I mean, those are good races, like 30 seconds, one minute you're done. That's, that's a good race. Um, <laughs> so then after high school, no more football. And so where did you kind of get the itch to start running? At least racing. Um, the the LA Marathon was was starting to gain traction as a new as a new event, and I decided to to do that. And uh, let me see. I think I was about I was either eighteen or nineteen at the time, and uh, in train for it, and uh, did the LA Marathon. And uh, but then afterwards, it's kind of like okay, I did that, but so I put running on the shelf completely. Um, usually when I went out for a run is because I needed to blow off steam for something, you know, it's like, I'm going for a run, you know, but a run in my mid twenties, uh, was like a mile or two. It was not anything that would this group considers a run. <laughs> so, I mean, I've run a lot of road marathons and there's been times where I say I'm never running again after this race, but you really did it. You're like, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> and so how long did it take you to get back into running after that? Um, it took probably about uh, 10 to 12 years to reintroduce running back into my life. Beyond just maintenance, like more that break is until you got back into racing. Is that right? Yeah, uh, at the time I was really involved in dirt bike riding and uh, competitively. And um, if anything, if anybody knows anything about dirt bike racing or aggressive riding, it is one of the most physically demanding sports there is. So you have to be in really, really good shape. I mean, motocross racers are some of the fittest athletes on the planet. Why wow. do you learn that? It's like riding a, a 100 horsepower bull, you know. I started running to get in better condition to ride motorcycles. And just like everyone else is kind of like, Hey, this feels pretty good. And one mile turned into two miles, turned into three miles, entered a local 5k and you go, Hey, that sense of competition came out. It's like, that was pretty cool. You know? So after a few 5ks, it turned into a 10k and, you know, like most runners, you just don't know when to stop. That's true. And this was all on the road at this point? This is all road running, yeah. Okay. And then what was your next big accomplishment from running after that? I progressed up to the marathon distance. And, of course, um, if you're a road runner, you know, your ultimate goal has to be the Boston Marathon. Right, yeah. It's it you will for, forever be bugged by anybody who goes, oh, are you a runner? Have you done Boston? 
And so, you know, you have to check off Boston just to be able to say yes. So I did that. Interesting enough, uh, my very first marathon, I missed my qualifying time by uh, less than a minute. And I didn't even know that I was that close or if I was that important to me. But after I missed by less than a minute, it suddenly became my obsession. And then it took me like five more marathons to finally get a qualifying time. It was just like blind, dumb luck. The first one, I just ran a good race and didn't realize I was that close. It took a long time to get back to, to that point where I did tick it off. And I and locally, uh, I was able to do that at CIM. So Awesome. Yeah, there's something about the in the beginning before you're really thinking about times and stuff, that ignorance that you're just running what you're capable of doing at that point. And then once we start getting more into it, that ignorance is gone and you know, you know, you know, at the halfway point where you're going to be. So five times to get into Boston, Boston was in 1999 for you. Is that right? Uh, 2000. 2000. Yeah. Cause you qualified in 1999 and how was Boston? Boston was awesome. Um, there was a good group of Reno runners that were all trying to qualify. And so uh, there was probably a group of, five to seven of us there for Boston. And that was super cool uh, to see the city of Boston and cruise around and stuff. The race itself went really well. Um, The first 13 miles went superb. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hill is just, it's too fast. I did, I did experience some hamstring cramps in the Newton Hills, which kind of, I, I wanted to, to, to get a, a, a qualifying time by, at Boston, by running Boston. And, um, and I, I wasn't able to, I think I ran a, a 337. And uh, so I lost probably, uh, you know, a good seven to 10 minutes messing around with hamstring cramps for a couple miles. But aside from that, the experience was, amazing especially the last you know once you pass Fenway Park and they Mm -hmm. release the crowd from the Red Sox game about the time that the marathoners are coming out and you have an entire stadium flooding the streets cheering everyone on it was a really really awesome experience yeah that big overwhelming sense of community um, from road running it's not always there. It sounds like you're really lucky. You had a group of friends that you were training with and you got to go. And I'm totally speaking personally, but my road running days where I was running more races on the road, the community is just so much different. So when you go to these big races, you're like, you fill your cup, you get, you know, everything, the training, um, we're here for trail running and communities every day. Cause you're running and racing all the time. So, and then after Boston, that big experience, what did you and your friends do? Were you like still road running? How, where's that transition from road to trail for you? Well, ironically, almost immediately after Boston, um, a couple of a couple of friends signed up for Way Too Cool, and they asked me if I wanted to do that, and 
I said, yeah, why not? It sounds like a, sounds like a cool race. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I did. So I started running trails to uh, prepare myself for way too cool. If anybody was a road runner that is not a trail runner, now, the, you know, it, once you go to trails, you just, it's very hard to go back to roads. That was the end of my road running career and the beginning of my trail running career. <laughs> It seems like at that point, you know, your trail running career, I've never browsed your race history, but I was much more, I was well impressed. There was a lot of races on here. I mean, you've done some, some big name races and a lot of them too. I mean, obviously you've done Wasatch several times, which is, you know, the States and uh, Leadville, TRT, obviously. UTMB stands out. How was how was UTMB? And what year did you do that? I did UTMB in two thousand seven. Um, it was still uh, it was it was popular, but not to the the kind of popularity and cult like um, UTMB is now. But it was really cool. Um, in two thousand six, I uh, I attempted the Grand Slam. But I DNF'd at at Western. Uh, it was that one year that it was I don't know like 118 degrees or 113 degrees or something. It was insane. I decided to kind of to kind of do my own slam. So instead of going to Vermont, I did the TRT hundred. I was not race director then. Um, so I did the TRT hundred, and then I did Leadville again, and then I did Wasatch again. I put in to get into UTMB and, and I got in. It wasn't near the the cluster that it is now trying to get into UTMB. That was a great experience. I mean, if I if I would do it over again, I would I would travel to France right before the race, do the race, and then recover traveling around Europe, having a good time. Um, I, my wife and I, we kind of did it opposite. We were there early. So it was one of those things we did some sightseeing, but I didn't want to go on big hikes or runs or other than just kind of shake things out because I was preparing myself for the race. So if I were to do it over again, I would flip flop that. But the UTMB experience was basically the equivalent of the Boston experience for trail runners amazing atmosphere and Chamonix and all of the villages, the race itself. Of course, everyone has seen the videos and pictures of the start. It's, it's crazy. Uh, it's, it's hard to even explain how, uh, how much adrenaline is around you. Um, it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, but the UTMB experience was great. I, there's a couple of friends that I met. This one gal from Fort Collins, uh, Michelle Schwartz, we became friends a year before when I was doing the 400s. We, we stayed friends and she said, hey, I'm doing UTMB also. So we met up in Chamonix and, and right before the day before the race, we said, you know, what do you think about like sticking together? It's not like a total end all game plan, but. You know, if it works out, you know, at least we can talk to each other if we can't talk to other people because of the language barrier and this and that. So we did. It doesn't happen often, but I ran uh, I ran with her for 40 hours and 50 minutes from start to finish. And that was, um, 
that was pretty cool. I mean, we'll be friends for the rest of our lives. Uh, but uh, that was that made the experience uh, really unique to to do that. That's amazing. It's fun when you meet somebody on a race and you run for, especially someone you don't know. You can run for. I met a guy in in Rocky Raccoon last year, and we ran together for twelve hours. Like like you meet someone like that, and you're friends for life. That's well. Just like Jessica said, you know, that's what makes trail running so unique is, you know, it's a community and, and that's absolutely true. And it's, and it's amazing. Um, you can meet a stranger and you can get along with them pretty well, but you're not going to tell them your darkest secrets or, you know, what you're, uh, what you're grieving about or, or what you're anxious about or, or anything. But for some reason out on the trail, when you're suffering together, it just flows out. And, um, yeah. You know, that's one of the beauties of our sport. Yeah, for sure. You know, it seemed like you were, your running career was at a good period of time because you, you did a lot of great races. You jumped around, you know, and you, like obviously you were in the Bay Area with the, with the Dipsy, various different types of Dipsy, the quads and doubles. And uh, yeah, you have a lot of variety of stuff. Like there's one called the Wild Wild West 50K. I may have never even heard of that. What's that about? Uh, that's, that's down in Lone Pine, California, south of Bishop. It used to be a pretty popular 50K and 20 miler, I believe, by the Alabama Hills. And it took you up by the Whitney portal. That was a pretty cool race. You know, my early days, because I, I was really a serious marathoner and I trained like one, that's the only way that I knew how to train. So unlike uh, how a lot of people train for trail races where they just run, run, run long. Um, I was still doing mainly speed work and tempo work and this and that. So I was pretty fast in those days. So I really became intrigued with the Dipsy. You know, so the first Dipsy year, I had to pass, I don't know, 600 and some odd runners to be able to get into the in- invitational status. And I was able to accomplish that. And then I did, so I did the single Dipsy for, um, I'm I'm thinking three, four years, did pretty well with that. And then, you know, I, I heard about the double Dipsy and I go, okay, well, that sounds like double the fun. So, uh, I did the double Dipsy a few times and, um, I heard about the quad Dipsy back in those days, but I was not an ultra runner then. I, at least I didn't consider myself an ultra runner. So, I mean, the thought of four dipsies was the most ludicrous thought that I could think of, you know? So, um, it wasn't until years later that I started doing the, the quad dipsy. And then I, I did it 10 consecutive years and, and got my 10 year jacket with that. Um, so. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Still one of my, uh, one of my favorite accomplishments in, in trail running. Uh, that's great. So speaking of your favorites and some of the memorable, you've done a lot of races. What stands out? You've talked about UTMB. What else stands out as the most memorable or maybe ones that were the roughest or just what stands out for you? Wasatch is, and as much as I love TRT, I, I think Wasatch is like my favorite race. The course has changed a lot over the years. I think, you know, it's, it's lost a few of its teeth, but 
it is it is a very very difficult hundred and um it's it it always uh beat me up more than any other race so i always had like the biggest uh sense of accomplishment at the finish line when i finished wasatch uh not that leadville or angeles crest or western states or trt or run rabbit or i don't know i've done so many of them I mean, they were all really, really hard, but um, Wasatch, you know you're in a battle and you're so grateful to get to the finish line. Um, so I, and that and Coyote Two Moon, the, the first few editions of Coyote Two Moon when they were in Ojai, uh, run by Chris Scott, those were burly races. They had over 30,000 feet of elevation gain. I mean, they were huge races plus they would start you later in the day so that they forced you to go through two nights so the hallucinations were, were insane and this and that those two those two races also are um i think are some of my best accomplishments actually so uh yeah i don't know much about that one but definitely at thirty thousand feet um boy that's rough uh so you want to get into you know, the TRT, that's kind of, you know, we're, that's a, a great local race that we have here. And a lot of our people, everyone loves it. Everyone's involved. All of our running groups are involved. And so I kind of want to jump into that. But before we do, I, I was reading the website and, you know, TRT is a nonprofit, but I was unaware of the, the level of, of you guys have generated for the various groups. You guys you, you help out the Tarim Trail Association maintenance program, the Lake Tahoe Nevada Parks Backcountry Mountain Bike Patrol, the uh, South Lake Tahoe Carson City cross country teams, volleyball teams, Boy Scouts, American Legion, Northern Nevada Cancer Foundation. And you guys have donated upwards of $125,000 the last couple of years. It's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, thank you for that recognition. Um... Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty proud of that. You know, when, when I took over TRT from uh, David Cotter and Kevin Bigley, you know, that, that type of uh, uh, philanthropy was, was already in play. It was a much smaller, more local type thing. But, you know, the race grew a lot, well, since I've been race director. And it is nonprofit. There's no one that takes a salary from from TRT, including myself. So it's, it's pretty cool to, to donate 30, 40,000 a year to, to such great organizations. And, um, you know, I love giving to the high school kids. They help out a lot, uh, with our race and, um, rather than not selling candy bars, uh, they could work hard for us for a couple of days and, uh, they get a nice donation, which allows them to, um, to uh, to go to some uh, out of state track meets and stuff like that, the Northern Nevada Cancer Foundation, a really really tight friends of mine, their their son had uh, childhood leukemia, and I asked them, you know, I want to do something for childhood cancer. What was the best organization that you dealt with during that whole thing? And it was the Northern Nevada Children's Cancer Foundation. I, I donate to them pretty pretty nicely uh, each year, and they're they're a great group to do amazing things for families so it's um that's one of the glamour 
parts of being a race director, if you are donating money, is the, the ability to, to donate money that's not yours to, to such great um, causes and foundations. Well, it's good. I mean, it's also nice when you're a runner. I mean, I understand these, a lot of these companies are businesses, and I've, I've, there's no problem with having a business. But it's good to know that when you put your money on the TRT, it's going to great eight stations and a great race, but then the extra money is going to these great causes. So it's really, it's a win-win for everybody. It just really feels like you can't go wrong with that. The money's not going into some hole. So that's really great to know. You know, and it's it's interesting that you bring that up because there's a lot of people that, that don't read everything on, on a race website and the non-profiting thing is not a big part of our website. So last year when uh, we needed to cancel for COVID, I, I withheld 25% to pay bills that I had already experienced. And uh, I was accused of like hoarding money, paying myself before others, this and that. And, uh, and it's great to, that I'm on this forum with, with you two to, to say that I can tell you truthfully that no one from TRT takes a salary. And the leftover profits definitely go to, to charities and foundations and high school kids. Well, yeah, and I, a lot of companies got to, a lot of companies got to run through the ringer by social media and people not understanding what goes into a race and the cost and the charges. It's unfortunate, but you didn't, you didn't withhold that much money compared to most races. So people have to realize that that was a drop in the bucket. The other races, I had nothing returned from a couple races and I had no problem with that. I understand that these are businesses. I mean, you know, we have to understand that, but yeah, you guys are doing well. So, so the origins, you talked about David Cotter and you're, you, when did you take over the TRT and, and, you know, how did, how did that transition come? Were you volunteering? for the TRT or were those friends of yours? How did that happen? What year was that? So um, TRT uh, has always been a local race with Tahoe Mountain Milers Running Club. And that's a, a South Tahoe, was it South Tahoe based running club. And I've been a part of that since the early nineties, uh, both my wife and I, uh, my wife's name is Rhonda. So uh, I was friends with, with Dave Cotter and, and his his partner in TRT, Dave, uh, Kevin Bigley. So we've always been involved with TRT from day one, even though I was a runner, I would help set up course or do, do whatever I can to help. Then around 2000, I think it was 2005, maybe it was 2006, Kevin and Dave and I, and my wife, Rhonda, we were all sitting at the Hunter Lake aid station of Silver State 5050. And that's the old course, doesn't even go there anymore. And we were just kind of just talking. And I was really involved in the 100 mile scene at that time. And uh, it was all, it was, I was totally 100% consumed by it. And I said, you know, if, if we don't make TRT a 100 mile race, somebody else is going to come into the basin and put on a hundred mile and why not us? We need to do that. And they went, wow, whoa. Like, what do you think for a course? And we started talking about a point to point and, you know, and point to point it, 
uh, it just opens up a lot of different logistics. You got to cross highways. There's more agencies you need permit from and stuff like that. And I said, well, why not just a double 50 mile loop? And we don't have to do anything different. You know, <laughs> that's how that's how TRT hundred mile was born. Sitting at an aid station talking about it, and the next year it was on. That's, and, how, that's how a lot of good things are born. Yeah, yeah. There were there were beers involved. <laughs> so was there a fifty k at that time, or fifty five k? Was it just a fifty miler? There was a fifty k and a fifty mile. Now, interesting about the fifty k. It's always been a 55K. Um, it's just we called it a 50K. And when when everyone started wearing a, a Garmin, I had so many people when I first became race director, it's like, you know, that's not 50K. It's a lot closer to 55K. And I said, in fact, it's exactly a 55K. So I just changed the name to 55K because I got tired of uh, listening to everyone say, it's not a 50K. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're certainly not getting shortchanged. No, sure. No. Yeah, people like to complain, you know. Uh, but so, so you and David and Kevin in 2005, you uh, had this plan, and was the next year, 2006, you had a hundred miler. Yep. And it was was it the course that we all are familiar with, or was it had had it changed? It changed because I, uh, the original course went all the way to Tahoe Meadows Trailhead. Now the new course, where, where you turn and drop down to the Tyrolean downhill, it kept on going all the way to Tahoe Meadows. And at the trailhead, that's where the, the aid station was, a turn around the aid station. And then from there, you ran all the way back to Tunnel Creek. That was the original course. And the reason why we changed it is the the, the Humboldt uh, Toyabe Ranger District didn't want a commercial quote unquote operation running out of that trailhead because uh, it's a very popular trailhead, and so they they wouldn't renew our permit, so we had to find a new home. So we started playing around with mileage and this and that, and um, I did the. <laughs> the Tarolian downhill down to Diamond Peak and climb back up. And I said, gosh, you know, this mileage works perfect. So then we talked to Diamond Peak and about using the lodge for an A station. And, and, uh, and that's how that whole part of the course came into play. And, and it was a godsend because it's really become iconic worldwide. Everyone knows about the Diamond Peak climb and, and all yeah. that. Oh, yeah, I know about it. Well, that's an interesting, great addition because that's what everyone thinks about. Oh, Diamond Peak, Diamond Peak. And people go out there and train for Diamond Peak and they do Diamond Peak repeats and everything. So what year was that added? About 07 or 08, you think? Oh, I should have researched that. <laughs> I'm going to guess. Uh, I'm going to guess it was closer to 2010 or maybe in 2011. Hey everybody, this is Greg Larkin, one of the co-hosts of the Mile 99 interview podcast. Just want to take a minute here to give a shout out to Krista Cavender. We just worked with her. Uh, she's a graphic design artist and she redid our logo for us. 
We're really excited about it. We've put it out on all of our social media here as of uh, late January, and uh, we highly recommend her services. If you're looking for graphic design work, logo design for your business, something like that, uh, please give her a shout. Her Instagram is Krista with a K, Cavender. And you can also find her online at kcavenderdesign.com. Highly recommended. She does great work, really clean, beautiful graphics. I think you'll be really pleased. Uh, I know we were. So as always, take care and we'll see you on the trails. So when you were running hundreds, you had run a lot of races and seen a lot of how races were run and what you liked and didn't like. What changed during that period when you were starting to run it yourself? That's a great question. And yeah, it's probably a cliche to say, oh yeah, I took the best of what I've seen from other races and incorporated it in mine. That's really what I did. There were a lot of really poor aid stations and a lot of really great aid stations. So I knew uh, that I wanted to change the way our aid stations looked and operated. But I think um, probably the biggest thing that I changed was the advantage of a double loop versus a point to point is a point to point. You set up an aid station and the right, you're only going to see the runners once. So yeah, you can set up a big grand aid station, but it's only going to be live for X amount of hours. Our aid stations are live for two days. And by the time the crews get out there, they're really out there for three days. You know, I, I knew the race had a big enough budget. So uh, another, I, I know I'm jumping around, but another thing that I wanted to change was most races, the race organization buys all the food and everything, and then they divvy it up for all the aid stations. Well, I was inheriting all the aid station captains, so they already knew how many runners and how much food they went through and everything. And I said, why am I buying all of their food? So I just decided that I'm going to give each aid station a large enough budget to, I like the way I like to say to them is buy enough food to take care of the runners better than they've ever seen before to feed your village and throw a big party and have a good time. That's your budget. I don't care what, you know, how you distribute it. This is your budget to do that. And that has been probably the biggest and most successful change to TRT. That's what really uh, transformed it into what everyone today knows um, TRT is. The aid stations are better than everyone else. It's a party out there. It's it's just a great time. That was the change. Well, I think when you do that, you give people so much ownership of the race and it really digs the roots in the community. So instead of, you know, come pick up your supplies, which is great. I'm not knocking any race directors and how they, they distribute supplies, but that is really brilliant to make people feel that they're trustworthy and they know how to run it because you're like, I'm not at it every station. You guys have been. So that's really, I mean, that's a really ingenious idea. I haven't heard of any other race directors doing that. Maybe they do, but that's really awesome. And having seen most of the aid stations while pacing, it is a party. <laughs> it is a people really do it so, so big. 
It's really, really interesting. It, it really has been a winning formula. And, and, and as you said, um, I really do think, I think that's the reason why I've had the same A station captains for, for more than a decade. Um, and it's because it, it's their own little race and they own it and they're in charge of it. I don't step on their toes. I kind of give them a few guidelines of what I'd like to see. They have full freedom in how they want to run it. And the beauty for a race director, for myself, I, you know, I don't have a huge giant team like a lot of these bigger races. But one thing that I don't worry about are the aid stations. That's pretty nice from a, from a race director's standpoint. That is good. It's, uh, definitely, I, I've enjoyed the aid stations. And like, like Tunnel Creek, you just don't want to leave, but you have to go. And it's so sad to be forced out of there. But you just want to stay such a party but you got to leave anyway it's good stuff but real quick before we we're going to get into the the new trt course the changes that's what everyone's here for they're just waiting for us to stop talking about other stuff i'm sure but the i want to talk about uh, another way you get back is through trail work it's always been a big requirement of, of your course and your race to participate in actual trail work and, I, and i've done that when i when i did is that required this year and what Tell us more about how that is came about as well. Okay, uh, I'd like to. Um, uh, unfortunately, this year I relaxed the requirement because um, we really didn't know if we were going to be able to put on a race for sure until May 1 when it went completely live. Like everyone, they would procrastinate on trail work until they absolutely had to get it done. Well, the time frame between May and in July is almost nothing. So I said, you know, I'm going to be too busy to harp on everyone that where's your trail work forms. And I can't realistically expect everyone to get out there because there's a lot of trail crews that weren't totally up and running at that time either. Uh, so it was relaxed this year, but the way it started was um, the Wasatch was my very first hundred. Uh, if anybody's done Wasatch before, trail work requirement is like supreme with them. They take no flack. They don't mess around. If you don't have your form and your deadline day, the, the next thing you get in the mail is a letter saying that you're not in the race. I did trail work, and I did trail work with the, the Tall Rim Trail Association. And my first day doing trail work, I helped build a rock wall. And I loved it. At the end of the day, my forearms were so pumped that I couldn't even hold a toothbrush the next day. But um, to this day, whenever I run over that rock wall, I look at it and say, I built that rock well. You develop this, this sense of ownership uh, and every little piece of trail that you do, it doesn't mean you know you have to build a rock wall to say that you own that you could have just brushed the pine cones off it or done a number of things cut the brush back so everyone's not getting their legs ripped up or whatever the case is you know the trails it's just like a house if you ignore your house it, it's just going to be it's just going to fall apart the trails are no different in fact they need more trail work maintenance today than ever because there's more people using every trail system now than there ever was before in existence. 
it became a real passion of mine. And so when I did become race director, TRT did have a volunteer requirement. It was pretty loose and you could do anything. You could, you know, work at an aid station or help sweep the course or anything like that. To me, that's not really, to me, it's, it's hardly volunteering because to work at an aid station, you're, you're going to see all your friends come in and give hugs and back, you know, back slaps and this and that, you know, it's, it's just a fun day to be out there. And then, you know, you're going to call that, you know, volunteer work, you know, you know, trail work, even though it is satisfying, it's hard work, you know, you had, it was a big day. And so I, I knew that I wanted to make that a hard and fast rule, no exceptions, everyone's got to do it. The first couple of years, there was a little bit of pushback, actually had to disqualify a handful of people first couple of years because they didn't do it. But I think the word got out that that I am going to do that. I'm going to follow through. And now no one questions it. They do it. And it's really rewarding to get the emails back saying, I really enjoyed that. I'm going to do trail work from now on without a requirement because it was a, it was a great way to give back to the trail. And, you know, and, and I know I'm probably going kind of long, but just one little quick anecdote on that. There's a gal from Reno uh, that was doing her first hunter. Her name is Michelle Edmondson. She did her trail work. She got so turned on by trail work that um, she was working for Patagonia at the time. And Patagonia employees will actually get paid to do trail work. They'll pay them with their wages at Patagonia to go do a day of trail work. She got so excited about trail work that she left her job to do trail work. Now she's for the TRTA. She is a trail work boss. That's her job. Wow. She owes it all to me to force her out and do trail work. So I think that's one of the more inspiring stories I have about doing trail work. But if anybody hasn't done trail work, I highly recommend it. You will not regret your day out there. We have a, a number of folks here on our side of the hill, uh, the Western States team and also Chaz. You know, a non-COVID years, there's a lot of opportunity we have here, especially in the North Fork and Record River Canyon. We have a lot of opportunity and it's definitely, my back is sore. and I, Using a, pick, a, pro, a bar to move rocks, it's, it's tough work. So uh, we're going to change gears to talk about the TRT course because everyone's really excited this year. And I, I said I was, I, I ran it two times and I was like, ah, I, I don't know if I'm to go back, but now I have to go back, you know, because it's a different course. It's, that's how that goes. So everyone wants to know, maybe you can kind of jump into some of the changes. I've looked at the website. The website has a map feature. It has a, a written description. But the best thing I think I found was this Excel sheet. That was the easiest to, to go through. And we'll link that as well. On the map feature, there's this Excel sheet which talks about the distance and elevation. That was real helpful as well, but uh, maybe you can go through the changes. Okay. Um, so yeah, TRT, another course revision. Um, First off, the reason why we changed the course in the first place is that uh, we were always pretty cramped at Spooner, uh, State, Spooner Lake State Park. And um, this year, if anybody's been up there to the park, it is completely ripped up. They're doing a huge renovation in there. So we couldn't have operated in there if we wanted to, okay? So I knew that I had to find an alternative. And Anybody that, that knows me well has known that it's been a dream of mine since I became race director to bring the race to Carson City. And I knew that this was the year to do it. I did. So next, you know, came 
thinking about the course, uh, redesigning it. Um, you know, obviously there's so many amazing iconic features of our course. I didn't want to lose any of that. I mean, you can't really call something the Tahoe Rim Trail endurance runs if you're not on the Rim Trail. Uh, you're down on lower trails in Carson City. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize is how close Carson City is to those trails up there in the mountains and how close we are to Lake Tahoe. You know, a, a popular training run for myself, I'd run from my house up and over the mountains and, and walking into the, the water of Lake Tahoe. I love that. And so I really kind of looked at it as an opportunity to show people, you know, Carson City is really the gateway to the mountains. And so, you know, I started thinking about parking. I was tired of busing people to the start and shuttling people. And so the biggest parking area we have is the Western Nevada College. And so I knew that I wanted to start and finish at Western Nevada College. And over the years, a lot of trails have spawned um, from that area. And so we started playing around with mileage um, from the college and then accessing the course. There's a lot of different options that we had, but going to Snow Valley Peak was like the biggest, baddest, hit you in the mouth start to a race that you could imagine. So that's, that's what we did. The finish, you know, I'll, I'll expound, expound on the finish a little bit more, but I know that it's really interesting to see so many people out climbing from the college up to Snow Valley Peak. The, one of the original race directors, Kevin Bigley, he had a race called the Capitol Hill Climb. And it was basically that you started in downtown Carson City and you went up to Snow Valley Peak and back. I think, you know, he, he never had more than 25 people do the race. And then here I announced it and there's people coming. I mean, just the other day, I was talking to a couple of gals from Modesto that were there that drove from Modesto just to climb up the hill, you know. And uh, so, yeah, it's been really cool to see how how many people have been up there hammering that hill. Yeah, Strava is full. Everybody's been up there. It's been crazy. Everyone wants to see, especially people that have done TRT a number of times. They're like, oh, dang. And then now they got to go back out there and figure out what this is all about. Because your whole, and then walk through the course, because there's some changes. You know, you've eliminated one red house loop. So there's some, it's a little bit, you go to Spooner one time. So maybe run through the course. For okay. All right. Um, great opportunity to do that. So. For the hundred milers, they'll they'll make the big climb up to Snow Valley Peak. Snow Valley Peak will be the first major aid station they hit. Then they will drop down uh, to Spooner Lake the way that the course used to. They'll hit Spooner Lake at about mile 16. And they're basically doing the same course as it always has been, up the Marlette Lake Trail, over to Hobart, from Hobart over to Tunnel. They're doing the Red House Loop. And then when they get back up to Tunnel Creek, they will go north up to the Tyrolean Downhill and down to Diamond Peak and back up to Tunnel Creek and uh, over to Hobart. Uh, and then on up, back up to Snow Valley Peak. So that's all the same as it's always been. So the change for them is that when they get to Snow Valley Peak the second time, the, the switchback um, service road to take, take you up to Snow Valley Peak, they will drop down that service road 
and then um, cross North Canyon and get up back on the Marlette Lake Trail and, and then back to Hobart and then Hobart back to Tunnel and then Tunnel back around the whole Diamond Peak Loop. And then on the return, when they get back to Hobart, is where they will just right outside of the Hobart aid station. I mean, literally in spinning distance, there's a trailhead called the Sunflower Hill Trail. They'll drop down that single track trail and it, it dumps out onto a road called Tanks Road. And then they're on that road. Um, ironically, that road is the road that goes right past the Red House. So they, they will go past where the Red House was and keep going down and down and down. They'll experience some really, really, really cool views of, of uh, Washoe Valley and Carson City on that descent. That descent's not going to be easy. It's about 12 miles from Hobart to the finish. So, um, and just like all the big hundreds, like Angeles Crest and stuff like that, where they, they start off and then they end in the hot valley, well, that's exactly what's going to happen here. I mean, not that it's going to be cool in the mountains, but it's not going to be as hot as it is in Carson City. And of course, people will be finishing dropping into an inferno. So uh, this road is luckily not, it's a pretty gentle descent. Um, there's a few steep sections on Tanks Road, but it's a longer piece of, piece of road than you'd think, probably about six miles to you get to this aid station that we're putting up called the Pipeline Aid Station which will be right by this little trail called Secret Trail. Then they'll get off of a road, single track trail, basically all the way to the finish then. Um, but even from there, they still have five miles, totally exposed, no trees, no nothing. So those, those runners finishing anywhere from about 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. is gonna be hot, like 95 to 100 hot, you know, so. So run fast. <laughs> it's going to definitely be uh, your advantage to finish in early morning or at night. Or if you're a 50 miler, to be slow enough to finish in the evening. <laughs> yeah, I know having you walk through it like that, that makes sense. I, I, I've looked at the website and I've looked at all the tools and having you walk through it, it makes a lot more, it makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. So the difference between the 50 mile and the 55K they don't go down to Spooner Lake. So when they get up to uh, Snow Valley Peak the very first time in the morning, they will drop down that service road, get on the Marlette Lake Trail over to Hobart. And neither one of those races do the, the Red House Loop anymore, uh, at least this year. The, the 55 cares, once they get to Tunnel Creek, they'll turn around, double back, and start heading back to Hobart. And then the same finish for everyone from Hobart. Uh, the 50 milers will continue to go straight on through and do the whole Diamond Peak Loop and then back to Hobart and, uh, and then that, that same finish. Um, so they, they, they get to escape the, the taste of hell of, of Red House, but I think finishing in a hot valley is going to be uh, a lot more hell than Red House ever was. Yeah, Red House is funny because it's not overly technical. It's just, it's just this loop that you do that just seems like it never ends. It's just bizarre, you know, it's just, it's weird. It's not too bad, it's reasonably shady down there, but it's just a long flat section, just a long time to get out of there. Um, 
So since you said you wanted to start in Carson City, is this going to be the new course forever, you think? Uh, very intelligent, <laughs> Jessica. Um, we, we, we will always start and finish from Carson City from now on. Um, and I, I hope it becomes a long-term uh, arrangement with the college because I, I think it's a perfect location. That being said, there, the course will change again, and I hope it changes next year. And so this is uh, uh, everyone that's going to listen to this is going to get a little preview that not everyone knows. But um, there's a trail being constructed right now. There's, a, there's an awesome piece of single track going up Ash Canyon. You'll pass a trailhead. And there's a trail that, that links Ash Canyon to Kings Canyon. It's called the Ash to King Connector. It's an awesome seven miles of single track. At the very high point of that connector trail, which is at about 6,500 feet, there, right now there's a new trail being built that's going to be called the uh, Capital to Tahoe Trail. And it's going to be another seven miles of single track, and it actually connects to the rim trail. Mm. So um, when that trail is done, that's going to be our access point to and from the valley is all single track. Now, that being said, this Ash Canyon climb may become so iconic, like the Diamond Peak climb, might just leave that in there and just finish using all single track. Um, because one thing that's nice, there's plenty of room for, there's only going to be about 400 stars this year. Normally we have about 600. But, you know, instead of a long common line on a single track trail, there's going to be all kinds of room to for the separation. There's going to be a lot of separation in that first nine miles. Like a new logo could be a taste of heaven and a meal of hell. <laughs> that's, that's true. Uh, but I tell you one thing, when that new that new trail is complete and we use that to, to come back down, how sweet is that going to be? Like 14 miles of single track, um, really flowy, nice single track too. So, yeah. So we're getting near the end, but real quick on, on other logistics like cutoffs and buckle changes. Any anything? We know that the the new elevation is around 20,000 plus some change for the 100 miler, and and the 50 miler is around 11,000 ish. Uh, 50k is right under uh, 55k, right under 8,000. So, what? Any changes to cutoff or times or anything? Yeah, there is. Um, I've increased the the 50 mile cutoff to 20 hours uh, from it. Well, it was 16, then it went to 17. It was going to be 18, and then we saw how difficult this course is going to be. And I said, well. You know, number one, we like to see people finish and get their award. So we made it 20 hours, and that's based on about a 21-minute mile average. And uh, the 100 mile has been increased to 36 hours. To accommodate the 36 hours and still be within our permitting requirements, we're, we're, we're going to do away, at least this year, with the award ceremony for the 100-mile buckles. Um, so... 100-mile finishers will, will receive their buckle when, uh, when they cross the finish line. One thing that's pretty cool, I, I, and I know you have a couple of them, is you have your, your time engraved in the back. That I don't know of any other races that do that. Well, our silversmith that has literally made every single buckle that's ever been handed out, he, he loves being there. And uh, 
So he's going to be there. So anybody that still wants their buckle engraved, he's, they can take it over to him and, and he can do it. So, um, yeah, that's that, because that, that's really valuable because I, it has the time on the back and the, and the year. So it's just really nice to see your time right there. It's your buckle. It'll always be mine because it's my specific time. That's, that's correct. Yep. That's awesome. We are coming to the end of everything. Uh, we really appreciate your time, especially during race week. I think hearing the course out loud might help some people because reading it, you know, we all learn different ways. So we really appreciate that. Um, and to wrap up, we're going to do some rapid fire questions. Are you ready, George? Oof. My, my palms are sweaty. <laughs> no, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing too bad. So first thing that pops in your head, uh, road or trail? Trail. What's your favorite post-race meal? Cold IPA. Okay. And then this one's new and it's just for race directors. What's your favorite, after you race direct, what's your favorite meal after you host a race? Wow. Um... (laughs) I think a nice steak dinner is pretty nice. That is a good one. And then the very important question, cats or dogs? Cats. Beep, beep, beep. I think I'm swaying people because I'm showing them the cat, but, and I'm even, I have two dogs. I have two cats. I tell everyone, but I just got a new cat. They're so cool. They're so cool. They're very cool. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, George, for um, coming on the show. We'll get this podcast out for anyone who's uh, watching the replay and you want to download it. We're going to try to get it out earlier uh, for anyone who's racing this weekend. And uh, one more time, we do have our Patreon. It's $1 a month. It helps us um, so much. We're going to have some merch coming out soon. Uh, We appreciate everyone logging into Zoom and The Facebook chat was super um, fun this week, too. So thank you, everyone. And we will see you on the trails. Thank you, George. Thanks, George. Bye. Thanks for having me. Bye.